and welcome to the Movies on the Brain podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brian C. Wood, and with me this evening is my good friend and one-of-a-kind master's degree holder, Chad Mitz. Yes, uh, this past weekend, Chad came home uh, to look to Baton Rouge for a brief, brief visit to receive his degree and, and his, his much, much appreciated accolades from his friends and fellow academics as he became a holder of a master's degree in library sciences. So we wanted to take this moment to uh, recognize Chad for what he what he accomplished and uh, you know to give him a moment to kind of soak that in. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, it's, it's been it's been quite the week. Uh, still still going through all these well wishes and, and things, and really trying to recover from the weekend. I'm dog tired. I was dog tired yesterday. But uh, I appreciate everyone that took the time to uh, wish me well. Uh, especially appreciate my buddy here, Brian. I wish I got to see him this weekend, but I was literally in Baton Rouge for about eight hours. And then about yeah, I, I figured it would be about eight hours, and I was working all seven, for seventeen of those eight hours. So yeah, but uh, I'm I'm gonna try to sneak away again uh, next month and have a few days where I can see most of, if not everybody. But uh, yeah, this one was kind of a glorified business trip, but uh, it was fun uh, and glad the school part is over, even though everyone keeps asking me if I'm going to get a PhD. Let me take this master's in for a minute. Let me woosa and then we'll see what happens. I mean, Dr. Metz does have a, a pretty nice ring to it. I mean, I know it does. But then on the other side of that ring is like four to five years of, of stuff. And I just got through two years of stuff, actually three years of stuff. So give, give me, give me a little bit, give me a little bit. All right, Chad. So let's start off with a topic that is near and dear to Chad's heart, since uh, he's in such a wonderful mood here. I, I, I think we should talk immediately about the death of the Wonder Twins movie. <laughs> Did we talk about it when they announced it? No, well, we we talked about the the film when they announced yeah. it because it extremely pissed you off that like of the entire DC catalog, they go for the freaking Wonder Twins, <laughs> and now here we are, less than a month later, and they're like, no, no, never mind, sorry. That's right, because you know all of my DC rants kind of kind of go together, so I forget what I ran it on at one point or another. But yes, okay, so my my thoughts on the Wonder Twins movie were uh, well documented. So this news, uh, on one hand, like you said, it's been, it was less than a month that they canceled this movie. Like they announced it, they actually announced the people they cast in it. Um, all things considered, I think the casting was fine. Uh, and then we come back, and they're like, "No, nah, we're not doing this." So on that 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 kind of image goes to what I rant and rave about against DC all the time, like the indecisiveness, the not knowing what's going on. But in the story that said, when they actually dropped the story, um, the reason they're canceling it is because uh, Mrs. Zasloff, the CEO of Discovery Media, is like, um, no, we're not doing this bull crap again. Uh, apparently, this movie is going to cost $75 million to make and it was going to straight to HBO Max. He's like, no. And laid out the groundwork the groundwork for how he sees movie releases for WB um, 
which I think I believe he wants to between twenty and twenty five a year, and things what he he doesn't want HBO Max movies to be budgeted that highly, like that seventy five million is too high for what he thinks for HBO Max. He thinks it's more valuable to have the theatrical releases come to HBO Max in a timely fashion, and that that boosts whatever uh, streaming stuff data they look at. So all of that says the axing of this movie seems to come at the come because the new CEO has a plan that he ha- that he wants to start enforcing with all of WB, uh, which makes me believe that maybe he has a that that will trickle down into a, sol- a solidified plan for DC movies proper going forward. So on one hand, you know, it seems same old DC. On the other hand, it kind of looks like a new day. I don't want to get too excited, but that's kind of what this seems like. But that's going to come with some other consequences because he talks about stuff like uh, Clint Eastwood. And I know you probably have some fun things about that to say. Uh, I'm sorry. You have to give me a second. I have to go get my empty chair. <laughs> Old man talks to empty chair should just be a whole movie. That, that should just be a thing because we live in a day and age where things have gotten so crazy and so out of hand that no one remembers that that was a thing that actually happened. Um, yeah, like there was a great article actually up on Collider a few days ago that or may have been a week ago now. Time time has no meaning for me anymore. Um, <laughs> but like there was a great article up that was like breaking down his directorial efforts by decade. And you can kind of see how they change from even when he was like the late 90s, early 2000s guy to the now guy. And it kind of coincides with his starring roles and the way um, Eastwood's um, star power and his characters have changed over the years. And it's like you can break him down by decade as going from charismatic leading man to old curmudgeon. <laughs> and you can just see that transition. And it just I didn't hit me until like I read I was looking at these lists of titles and these lists of characters. and I was like, yeah, you can clearly see there's a there's a clear through line here. Um he will always have the ability to make movies for, for Warners for two reasons. One is his name. There is a, you know, there is multiple generations of folks that know Clint Eastwood, the actor and Clint Eastwood, the director. So outside of his politics, everybody knows who Clint Eastwood is and which was part of what made the empty chair thing so crazy. But anyway, and the second is, as much grief as we give American Sniper for having a fake baby, that man turns in movies on time and under budget. And what does any studio love? A movie that is on time, under budget, and turns a profit. And that man turns those things out like he's rolling out of bed and drinking his Geritol. I You know, so, like... Of course that man's going to be allowed to continue to make movies, and they'll give him whatever budget, and he'll give them more awards push. I mean, hell, they gave uh, they gave the uh, the ballad of Joel Joel Olstein, not Joel Olstein. Uh, oh, Tammy Faye. The yeah, not not the eyes of Tammy Faye. The uh, the uh, Atlanta bombing movie that oh, he did. Um, Richard Jewell with uh, Richard Jewell. They they gave uh, the ballad of Richard Jewell um, an Oscar push including Kathy Bates in that movie. Like 
they will put get their energy and their effort and their time behind him when he decides he wants to do stuff. That's going to continue until the man dies. Now, the, the interesting one for me is going to be what happens when Bradley Cooper goes to him is like, you know, I've got a star is born. I'd like to do X, Y, or Z thing and see if they continue to to give him the support that he needs because I feel like they kind of didn't support Ben after uh, after Argo. Well, so my reading of... So everything you're saying about uh, on time, under budget, uh, makes profit. Yeah, that is like a movie studio's mantra. But my reading of that article is uh, Mr. Zosloff, I don't know his background outside of, you know, a CEO of Discovery before it became this merge thing. So I don't know how much movie studio experience he has, but he it seems like he's like, um, get all that noise. I'm not about to, I, this movie, it basically seemed like he was saying uh, Crime Macho was a, um, a waste of time and money. I don't know the, the financials of Crime Macho, but I do, when he asked them why they made the movie, they said they gave the mantra, and he's like, uh, we're not doing any of these passion projects anymore that, that, that don't make any money or, or any kind of sense that way. So I think they would keep working with Clint Eastwood if it's not that. If it's not, because who went to see, who was Cry Macho for? It seemed like it was just for him and like his type of people. It it was the same. It, Cry Macho was there for the same folks that were there for American Sniper and were there for uh, Gran Torino and were there with the for the movie where he was doing uh, cocaine off of the hookers we're in. Like the like I mean that's like they're there for you. Go to a Clint Eastwood movie, you know what you're getting now. Like that, that that's changed over time. And what happened with Cry Macho was when it was released, it was in the 45 day thing and it just never found an audience. And I think one of the major things that we figured out um, with, for HBO Max and for Warners, their biggest release digitally has been the Batman. Like the Batman was their most watched the first day it dropped on HBO Max, their most watched of any of the films that they put on HBO Max in the last year, year and a half. So that should tell you something. Um, when I read the, when I read those comments though, I do also kind of consider, get concerned about Nike Perlmutter approach where it's like financials above all else and the balance sheet, because as, uh, there's this video going around of, uh, of one of these, uh, directors talking about, um, talking about, you know, how studio should take, uh, be willing to take a bath on art house projects for a couple of years and put them out. And yeah, like that's a balance sheet thing is, is and that that's his whole argument there is that it's a balance sheet thing. And you're, you're so targeted to making this one thing that's going to make this money so you can take a profit and you're not worried about the art of it or the entertain you know, or the broadening, broad, broadening the audience. You're just worried about how you're going to make your money back. And if, that's the case i mean there's a reason that like for example um you know in the first x-men movie uh they have that joke about yellow spandex it's not because they couldn't afford the yellow spandex (laughs) 
It was they because it was the stupid. idea was that 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 was stupid and laughable, and there's no way they could legitimately pull that off in in on screen, and people would believe it. Now we've got Thor's magical ox carrying him through the Bifrost. Okay, which like things. Um, the writer of the first Thor said they wanted to put that in there, and Marvel said no, that's a bit too much. And the fact that they were here now, you know, this is the world we live in now. Because they got the, they won the creative freedom from the audience over to do, you know, God, the the God Butcher. <laughs> because at this point in time, in this moment, anything that has Marvel attached to it is going to be solid enough and stands for quality. I mean, Chris Carl has been saying that for years, that, that the Marvel brand stands for quality and people will show up. And for a long time, the, the brand of Warner Brothers has been directorial, uh, you know, auteur-driven cinema. And you know that's why people like Nolan flourished there. That's why people like Zack Snyder flourished there. It's why it's the incredible um, support system that was in place that when Ben Affleck wanted to make The Town and then came back and wanted to make uh, Argo, that Warner Brothers was so supportive. It's the environment that has allowed, uh, you know, Bradley Cooper to make uh, to make a, a Star is Born remake that won a bunch of hearts and minds and made Lady Gaga a whole bunch of money off of a, a music album. <laughs> like, because they are catering to the Artur, and if you start shutting down the balance sheet and pulling back the reins and being like, we're going to be very selective with how and where and who we give this budget to, those folks will gladly take their business to Netflix or someone else. Now, granted, Netflix may not be writing too many checks because we're going to get because we're going to get into that, and we'll also get into the insanity of nine and a half to ten hours of Stranger Things at two hundred million dollars. But like, they'll go somewhere else to get the money. Del Toro will go somewhere else. Um, Tarantino will go somewhere else. Like Cooper will go somewhere else. Like these folks will go where the money is. Like there was a whole a whole piece of not too long ago about how independent make filmmakers had to like merge back into mainstream filmmaking because independent financing drew up, uh, uh, dried up. And so they had to start going back and working in the studio system again, just to have jobs. Like you, you've got to, at some point know where that fine balance is. And it starts with having a clear, a clear producer, uh, production idea of what kind of movies you want to make with what kind of filmmakers and at what kind of budgets. And as long as you, you have that vision and you stick to it and it's sensible, you know, you can be successful. I, I just, but I think just cutting things off across the board and being like, we're only going to pay this amount. And if you don't like it, you can hit the bricks. Uh, I think that's a recipe also for alienating filmmakers, which is not something you want to do right now. Yeah, that's where, uh, you know, after the initial, okay, this might be good for, like, the structure of DC and stuff. I did, my worry is the, the loss of some of the other movies. Uh, um, are we, is, it, is the focus going to be just on, you know, blockbuster and revenue generating movies? I don't think that's the way it should be for Warner Brothers. I think that, you know, they're a large enough studio with an, enough history to do more of your art kind of movies, but I do think 
um, creator-driven passion projects that are strictly for the creator and a very, very niche audience, I do think those might be going on the wayside. So hello, crazy. George Mill. Hello, George Miller's latest movie. Which one? That is man. There? That man made uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Took years off, and then is now doing an erotic thriller with Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba with a trailer that looks like you were tripping on acid as you wrote the movie. And it will work coming out of Kansas that it will probably be very divisive. You know, like, I think it was our our guys at at Exhibitor Relations who were like, hearing what we're hearing coming out of Kansas, the movie would be lucky to make the Northmen money. Okay. And And has the Northmen's budget. Yeah, that is not going to fly. Um, right. And that's but that's different than Bradley Cooper coming to you and say, I want to make this movie for sixty five million dollars about this uh, this man in the wilderness who has been running away from his from his demons and now needs to confront them. Like those are two different things. Yeah, I think it just depends on what the pitch is from Bradley Cooper. I think, you know, because he Bradley Cooper, he gets in the door uh, and you know, the old guard of Warner Brothers would probably just make the movie sight unseen. This one might actually want to hear the pitch and figure out, okay, is this something worth doing for us? Or also and, countering and being like, okay, you want 65, we'll give you, uh, you know, we'll give you a 50. Like, yeah, it may that, be that, that kind of, that, that kind of back and forth could also be part of it now. But it, part of the calculus has to be what, so what is valuable to them? Like, we know money is valuable to them, but are they willing to trade less money for more, you know, prestige and recognition? Because that could be part of the the factors too. They they might be willing to spend money if they know, okay, this was going to get run during Oscar time, so that'll kick things up and that'll justify what we're doing. It's still it's still just a whole bunch of unknowns uh, with Warner Brothers right now. It's probably going to be that way, you know, for like next year until they really get everything in place. Well, I think it's also going to be about them figuring out what they want, like in terms of, of winning, like how much does a box office, how much does an Oscar run help you now? Like that's, that's also a thing. The Oscar bump is not what it once was because the number of folks watching the Oscars is not as great. So, like, the Oscar bump is not as huge. And if you look at the, some of the price tag, especially the price tag of what Netflix has, has spent trying to chase Oscar glory in the last five years with, what, minimal return on investment? Yeah. It, it's not, like, at some point, even studios are like, why do you think A24 and Neon have grown in popularity and in acclaim over the last five years? It's because the focus features and the Fox Searchlight and those kind of what I call the studio award arms have not been putting out as much content because I don't think studios really want to truly chase Oscar glory anymore because they don't think it's financially you know, beneficial. There is something to that. Um, and so when, you, when you're talking about it that way, is it do they value the actual like eyeballs and ratings of the Oscars or do they value the prestige in the the trophy in the business is, is, yeah it, are you in this for the trophies that you can put in your case 
and show off to people? Or are you in this for, you know, making the artistic films that are going to last for a good long time and also make some money? And and like you said, we just don't know at this point enough about what their what their background is. Yeah. Or priorities are. Yeah, I think we it's it's going to be probably a long year for people at Warner Brothers. But once it all shakes out, we'll see if it's I think for DC specifically, I think it will work out for the better. I don't know about for the studio overall. Well, I mean, I think some austerity and some more selective thoughts and some more selective some some more selective green lights can help DC because you want to focus your efforts cinematically on what is working and what is popular, what is going to make you the most money. Like say what say what you want to about no one being able to remember a single line of dialogue from Aquaman. Um, it still made a whole bunch of money, and so they greenlit a sequel. Like you have like I could guarantee you that the conversation that. that was had in that room when they were talking about a wonder twins movie was the same that me and you had which is it's the wonder twins who is this movie for and like that i think that a a a business decision directive looking at let's focus our money on dc where our biggest stars are might be a good way to go and I, i think that might actually be a positive for the studio like i don't inherently think a Wonder Twins movie is the worst idea. I think you can actually make it pretty fun and interesting um, in different types of ways. My problem was none of the rest of their house is in order and they want to do this off the beaten path thing. Fix everything first. Yeah, fix everything first and then go nuts. But you got to fix it first. And they, that maybe that's what they're going to do now. We'll see how that turns out though they need their own personal multiversal war i i wouldn't even they need i wouldn't their, even touch what, the what, multiverse what, stuff what is it what is it one not one more day it's a uh, um crisis on infinite earths um they, yeah, they, the, they need their own crisis of infinite earths to like reconcile what they want to be because they have to figure out if they want to be the the studio of the shared universe, or if they want to be the studio of the auteur with the Batman and the Joker, or if they want to be the, the you know, flush out the smaller characters universe, like, you know, they've got to figure out what they want to be. Yeah. They they do. They they need to establish what their identity is. Uh, they, have, they have options. If it were me, uh, I wouldn't touch the multiverse stuff. And it's funny you say Crisis on Infinite Earths because that's DC's thing. They always have a crisis to fix stuff. Crisis on Infinite Earths is still the biggest one. But, I mean, they could use it, but the TV shows have already used it. So And they're going to use something similar for Flashpoint, if you believe the rumors. But no one understands what the hell they're doing with Flashpoint because they keep pushing the movie back. And also, the guy at the center of it isn't really, you know, popular right now. Yeah, and it was, I mean, this thing was developed four or five years ago. 2015 was the first time I remember them talking about Flashpoint. Oh, but it's changed so many times since then. I think the the version we're getting, real deal, like, got started getting developed after the whole Justice League thing. So 
That's still five years. And it was developed to, if we're going by what we hear, we hear it was developed to restart everything and, and make everything canon, but then make everything not canon and go and move forward, starting from that point. But since that has happened, everything else has gone to hell. So <laughs> what is going to reset and re and fix and whatnot, none of that's going to actually be, some of that's not going to actually be canon when it's all done. So <laughs> I, they're in for a rough one. I, I know they don't want to do it, but I would just be like, all right, we're going to chill on making anything right now until we figure this crap out. Indeed. So Chad, I have a very important question that I need you to answer for me because it has been nagging at my soul for a few for about five days now. Okay. Why was there no Darkwing Duck cameo in Chippendale Rescue Rangers? There was. I did not recall seeing the Darkwing Duck. Did you I saw watch Baloo. I, I saw Baloo. I I saw the the gummy bears bouncing here and there and everywhere. I I didn't see. The dark, the dark winged duck, who was the thing that immediately followed. Uh, so you didn't watch through the credits? No, I did not. Dark winged duck is clear as day. Uh, he is the po- he is the the post credit scene. It's a hope. He is the only part of that scene. That is that scene is all dark wing. So he's there. Is, is he there if he's not in the body of the movie? I mean, it's. I mean, I'm not. I'm. This isn't even. You know, Marvel has the two credits in credit scenes and the one all the way at the end. It's not even that. This is after the colorful credits while the, the Post Malone version of the song plays. When that ends, there's Darkwing. So, Chad, let's talk about this hilarious, nostalgia-driven, mark-out moment-filled uh, movie that we did not get in theaters but got directly on Disney Plus and got no marketing for and is still awesome and and outrageous for people our age. Yeah, I'm gonna need to watch that thing again because there's just so much stuff in there. It's so um, I I saw someone describe it as the closest thing we'll ever get to a sequel to Roger Rabbit, and I think that is accurate. And who framed Roger Rabbit? And, and Roger Rabbit is in it in the first in five minutes because they're dancing with Roger yep. Rabbit because they the came Roger out Rabbit with Roger Rabbit. Exactly. Yeah, uh, that so. This was the downside of my graduation being on Friday. All I wanted, to, I all I wanted to do since this movie was announced is watch Chippendale the day it came out. Could not watch that movie until Sunday, and it was pissing me off. But I finally got to see it, and I enjoyed myself. It did. It's like a satire and a love letter. And all these other things just wrapped up into one movie. If you, particularly if you, I mean, if you know Chippendale, but particularly if you know Chippendale from the Rescue Rangers, you will like, you should find, there should be something in this movie that you like. If you're a fan of Disney, period, there should be something in this movie you like. If you want to make fun of Disney for things, there should be something in this movie for you to like. Uh, I can't. I'm a fan of like the Lonely Island Boys with uh, Andy Samberg and stuff. I just didn't know how it was going to work with Chip and Dale, but here we are, and they did it. And I, like I said, I want to watch it again because they, it's clear they know the characters, they love the characters, they know the lore, and they they love all this Disney stuff. 
but they also see the ridiculousness in some of it and they poke fun at all of it in a loving way. And I think that's a hard job to pull off, but they did it. How do you get J.K. Simmons to sign up to play a Gumby police officer? You know, I I think J.K. it I think J.K. is he's got to be like the nicest guy in Hollywood because it's pretty much like, hey, J.K., you want to do my, our movie? <laughs> sure, I'll do it. I mean, it's like he's got a project out like every month that I, I can't get away from even if I try. So I don't think it's that hard to convince him, uh, especially if he's just lending his voice. Uh, he, he just he has an animated series on Amazon and Invincible. The guy is everywhere, but it's great because he is great. And I, w- I was kind of hoping he would turn out to actually be Gumby. But, you know, I'll take I'll take what I can get. Um, the image of him scraping the print off his hand is something that just sticks with me. Completely ridiculous. Yet not the least ridiculous thing. Um, not at all. Not at all. I love that they actually addressed the idea that they did the 2D animation and the 3D animation with him getting the CGI makeover like it was plastic surgery. Yeah, I thought that was creative. Uh, I kind of wish they would say that for the movie. The the um, I think it was the first trailer they released. They kind of said it in that. I wish they would have said that for the movie. It didn't take anything away, but I, I thought it was really a really creative way uh, to get around it. And what did you so like, what did you think of all the cameos and the, the callbacks? Because particularly the two convention scenes, the first one where, you know, he's at he's at the convention just being uh, right next to Ugly Sonic and he's just living the normal like uh, con life. And then the second one where they're running, literally running through the con. Um, like, what were your thoughts on that? Because that, there's a ton of callbacks in those two, uh, those two instances. <sighs> Yeah, the, the the convention scenes are loaded with stuff, and I know I missed so, so much stuff. But uh, it, it was just the things they stuck in there. When, when, they, when they popped up, it was like, the, I, can't, I couldn't believe they did it. Like, I was talking to my daughter on the way home today, and she, and she asked, how did they get all, how did Disney get all these things put in there? And I'm like, oh. Uh, because they're Disney, I guess they they had to cut a lot of deals. I just don't understand how it happened. Well, they they own most of it. They own the Simpsons. <laughs> they own Indiana well, Jones. Well, though, yeah, those are easy. But like in the in the um, the high school scene to start when they're doing the juggling in the in the crowd is a transformer, and it's not like it's a random transformer. No, I know that transformer. He's the one that turns into a radio. I can't remember his name. But I know clear as day, he's in Transformers the movie, he turns into a goddamn radio. He's sitting right there in the front row. And that sucker's owned by uh, Hasbro. So I know they had to cut a deal for that. So it's just it's stuff like that. And, and the ugly Sonic part of it, which I'm upset that I found out he was in the movie before I saw it, because I would have enjoyed it more just seeing that. The... I believe they still have to sign off for Paramount. Paramount had to like sign off for them to use it. And that they were even willing to let them use it because that thing, that version of Sonic was so panned and destroyed that, you know, they had to go back and remake the whole damn thing. And that's what makes this joke. But 
I have, if, if Paramount signed off on it, and I think they had to, kudos to them because you have to be willing. I mean, the unsaid part of that joke is that y'all thought this was a good idea in the first place. And that is like the undercurrent of that joke. And if you're good with that, kudos to you, Paramount, for doing it. And kudos for them for using it, pointing out why he looks so weird with the mouth focus every time he starts talking and how distracting it is. And using that, not just as a joke, but they use him to service the story and like give him, make him have like an, a rewarding experience. So they gave this little crappy version of Sonic and made him meaningful beyond being just a, a bad meme and a, a footnote in cinematic history. And uh, as it was accurately pointed out, Monterey Jack is also the name of a cheese. Correct. And um, he is, I mean, of all of the Rescue Rangers, only one of them is voiced by the original actor. But Monterey is voiced by Eric Bana in this. And he, he does a good job of sounding like Jim Cummings, who did the voice of Monterey Jack. Which... I find it's kind of kind of flips my mind out because Jim Cummings is clearly not Australian, doing a fake Australian accent, whereas Eric Bonner is Australian, but he doesn't sound like Monterey Jack, but he makes himself sound like it. So, and considering that Jim Cummings is in the movie, I, it, it, it just all kind of flipped for me. I don't know what other scene Jim Cummings is in, but he is back as Darkwing at the end. So, there's that for you. Um... My, there there was a lot that I loved about this film, not the least of which was just my nostalgia just going all over the place. I liked the idea of what happened and the the to use a term, the VH1 behind the music of it all and the idea of these two characters being split apart for many years and having to come back around and having to reconcile their differences while also working being thrown into this craziness of this case. I really liked the story at its heart. I also like the jokes. I mean, the comedic timing around here is great. Um, but I will say my favorite is, um, um, is the, uh, president, uh, from 24. Yep. Otherwise known as the Allstate guy. Yep. Um, Dennis Haysbert. Dennis Hasbert doing Tim the Zipper. voice. Yeah. Uh, I I didn't think they would give him a voice because when they first showed him, they only show him again whispering to um, to gadget. Which when I first saw them, like okay, he's just telling her something. I didn't think anything. No, no, of they it. they made that very implicit that like at when the lights went off, her and the zipper went down. <laughs> they did. Uh, it's just it was just my whole. There's no way that Zipper and Gadget would have anything going on. So I just thought he was whispering to him the very first time he did it. And then immediately they showed after that, and I think it's before they showed the kids, I'm like, or maybe it was like when they showed that they would get married, I'm like, oh, so he was doing what it looked like he was doing that I just was making not that. Uh, but I just thought they were going to keep doing the whole, if he talked, he talked as whispers and we didn't actually hear him. And when he cleared his voice and it was Dennis Haysworth, I'm like, all right, all right. But, uh, Gadget Remain, uh, Tress McNally, who is uh, phenomenal for his actress. If you have if you any cartoon that you like, 
she's been in. You know her voice. Uh, you obviously would know it as Gadget. So it was nice that they kept at least one of the original cast members. I don't know if any of them have died, though. Uh, um, so what were your thoughts on the pan of it all in bootleg movies, which are no longer a thing? I was fine with it being Peter Pan. Uh, I thought, it was, again, a creative way to do it. Doing the bootleg movies, I'm like, I, I, I thought that was really clever. Uh, yeah, we don't really have that. I, well, we might. I don't know. I don't see it as much. But yeah, growing up, there was nothing but bootleg versions of cartoons, particularly in the '90s. Whenever Disney had a a, a movie coming out, bet you you can bet there's going to be a VHS of some knockoff Disney movie on the shelf um, before before it hits home video. So. Using that as an ex like this movie having that explanation that Peter Pan kidnaps all the cartoons and makes them make knockoff movies that we saw back then, I thought that was really clever. Um, yeah, it you have to put aside that yeah we really don't have it much today, but again this movie is full of nostalgia, so most of the people that, and it's made for people our age. Yeah, most of us are like like as soon as it happens, I'm like that makes all the sense in the world putting aside the fact that we don't have those bootleg movies anymore. But we all we all get it. Yeah, it's just like it's completely crazy to me that that is a thing that that whole entire thing is a thing that exists and that it it's out there for the world to see because it was it was awesome. And uh you know, I I hope we get a little bit more time with those guys cuz that was that was a lot of fun. Yes it was. Um so, Chad, Netflix is out of its mind. Um, <laughs> it wants to kill us all with Stranger Things. Um, your thoughts, sir, on the episode runtimes, which are being hotly debated for no reason at all. The uh, first reviews for Stranger Things Season 4, which have dropped today. And also just where Netflix stands, you know, spending $30 million an episode on Stranger Things at an hour, a minim- minimum of an hour and 15 minutes an episode. And yet letting over 450 employees go and suggesting their first quarter earnings earnings were dipping for the first time in a long time. So the the earnings of it all, when I think we talked about this when Disney first got into the streaming thing and everybody was everybody was really getting into the streaming wars. Uh, I said I, I remember I don't know if I said it, but I remember thinking that. Netflix probably has will probably have to do something at some point to stay on top, even though they are so ubiquitous. When you, particularly when Disney got in the game, that means Disney's pulling all of its content from Netflix and putting it on its own service. Granted, at the time, all Disney has what was that content? So Netflix still had, you know, they still had the stranglehold, and being being the first means that that being the first and so entrenched meant that, you know, there's certain security with that. But it was inevitable with so many streaming services. Everybody's not going to keep growing at this incredibly deep and fast rate. It's going to, somebody's going to have to suffer. And I, overall, I think Netflix is fine because, again, it is the first and the ubiquitous. Um, but 
people are now noticing the cracks in Netflix and that, yes, they, they have Stranger Things, they have um, these other good shows and movies, but there's a lot of there's a lot of not good stuff on there. And with everybody pulling their stuff off of Netflix, um, there's not there's less incentive to to go there because the stuff you're looking for is probably going to be on its home streaming service. Like, I, personally for me, I mean, there was a point that I would check Netflix, you know, religiously. It'd be the first streaming thing I check. Now, um, I'll look at it there, and unless I know there's something on there, I rarely, I rarely go on Netflix. I go on Disney probably the most out of all of them. And strangely enough, Peacock is probably second, but that's mostly because of it's because of wrestling and The Office, because The Office is no longer on Netflix. So that's that's why Netflix is in this spot. I don't think it's the end of the world for Netflix. They will have to re reimagine some things. It sucks that they're cutting things like animation to try to try to make all of this work. But um they're gonna have to I think they're going they're overall fine, but I think they're gonna have to do some things differently. The the Oscar movies they keep making, I think they'll have to keep making things on that on that path. The T V shows like Stranger Things, they'll have to do that, but probably with smaller budgets, which is normally not good. But in the end I think, you know, one of one of the smaller streaming services that are attached to a studio or whatever, they might make a play for Netflix. I think that might be the end game for Netflix. And that way, you know, they'll they'll have a permanent catalog. Because their their biggest thing right now is that they their 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 own catalog of things that they own themselves is very, very small. So you're dependent on everybody else and if they want to pull their stuff, kind of screw. I look at um the Marvel TV shows made for Netflix gone, just gone. So that that's where they that's where they sit with that. As far as Stranger Things itself, um, I saw those runtimes for all of those shows, and one for I I have seen I think most of the last season of Stranger Things only because I was dog sick. They made me sit in the living room while I was dog sick and I could not go anywhere. And it was the week that Stranger Things came out. So I was forced to watch it. Other than that, I've seen none of Stranger Things. I'm not watching this season either. And looking at those runtimes, I am glad because those are goddamn movies. What, six, what, six or eight episodes? That last one being a full feature length? No, 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 no. Nine episodes, the last episode of which being two and a half hours long. Hell no. Hell no. Uh, particularly with the people I live with that like to binge everything all the way through. What, that's, that's like one of your damn movie marathons. That is insanity. Hell no. Hell no. All you people that are going to do it, more power to you. I'm out. Well, I don't think so. Like, <clears throat> so like, here's my thing. The season, um, the season three finale, which is, again, I, I'm a huge season three guy. I, I actually think season three is better than season one. Um, I just love the nostalgia of it all. I love the, the, the mall palette of it all. 
Um, I love the relationship building that you do. I love the the stakes that are involved there. There's just a lot that I love about season three. <clears throat> season three finale is three uh, is one hour and fifteen minutes, and it is the uh, only episode in uh, it's the only episode in that season I believe that goes over an hour. The very first two episodes of this season are seventy five minutes each. This this feels very much like so. We've talked a lot about the Netflix thing. So when everybody decided they wanted to take their own stuff off and then build their own streaming services, Netflix was like left with their original content, which is why they saw that kind of coming and spent billions, literally billions with a B on a regular basis on original content. The problem is a lot of their original content hasn't hit as well as they would like. And now... People are making business financial decisions about ex their expense, their uh, ex you know, extra income. We live in an era of inflation, higher prices, all these things, right? So my good friend or our good friend Charles Hennigrass said this a long time ago. There are people in the state of Louisiana who make decisions about whether or not they want to make improvements to their home or go on vacation or pay for football tickets to LSU. Like they their their financial decision making is built around like how it'll affect their LSU football, their ability to pay for their football tickets. Like that's the the important thing for their expenditory income. Like we're entering a point in time in the streaming service wars where it's important to make a decision about which ones you're going to keep. And to be honest, Netflix has not given people a reason to keep them for the last two years, really. Um, the best thing that has come out of Netflix um, recently has been, that has really hit with audiences has been Space Force, which was a moderate hit with people, and then the R.L. Stein adaptation of Fear of the Fear Street books. Like those are the only two things that have lo really like penetrated the consciousness in the way that Stranger Things and Orange Is the New Black did when Netflix started their original content ten years ago. Um, so I guess what I'm trying to say is they are losing subscribers because people are deciding it's more important for me to spend my money on Disney Plus or Paramount Plus because they have all the uh, Yellowstone stuff or Peacock because they have all the wrestling stuff or this, that or the other thing. And they all know somebody with a Netflix subscription and so they'll just get the code or the password from them whenever they need it to to see the new season of Stranger Things. And then as soon as they finish that whole thing, they'll just go back to their other streaming services and give their friend back their IP address. Like That's where the majority of people are at with Netflix. And, and when you keep raising prices the way that they're raising prices, over 20 bucks a month for Netflix now... Um, and that depends on how many devices you have and how like and all the rest of it. Like you're making a choice between streaming services. And if you have a friend who has Netflix and there's not a ton of conflict content that you want on Netflix, it makes sense to just borrow somebody's, you know, password, which is something they used to make fun of. Netflix itself used to make fun of. Now it's a danger spot for them because now they're they're losing relevancy and then they're losing subscribers and that's dangerous when you got Disney on your heels. Yeah, and to be clear, I don't think it's just yeah, you know, it's just Disney. 
Disney's the only one over 100 million subscribers. Peacock is not over a million, 100 million subscribers. Paramount Plus isn't over 100 million subscribers. Amazon's not even over 60 million subscribers. So, like, it's it's Disney. If Disney, if 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 Pearl Mutter, not Pearl Mutter, if uh, I, um, if uh, uh, Bob Iger didn't decide that this was the direction he wanted to take the company in, Netflix would still be king of the hill. But well, because he had the foresight and the knowledge that this was going to be a thing and that they had the IP to do it and went out and made a major acquisition in Fox to ensure that they had enough content to do it, um, Netflix would still be king, but they're not king anymore. And and Disney's hot on their heels. Well, you, you're right, because Disney is like the biggest competition. Um, but the, if Disney still made their streaming service, how how different is it for Netflix if Peacock doesn't exist because a lot of a lot of what drove um, Netflix well, numbers. The office, were, that's the Office and Friends just gone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So even if they didn't have new things, people that want their comfort watch in the Office and Friends and uh, and the other exactly. Peacock office, like Parks and Rec and all that things, they just load up Netflix and let it play, and that. Oh, that bolsters numbers. That that probably keeps, you know, I don't know if it keeps everybody, but it keeps enough people that are like, I'll go for these things. And the Office and Friends were like, like their top streaming things for years. So, would they be losing losing subscribers? Maybe, but I don't think it would be to the point that you know people are panicking now. And I think in, in that world, Netflix and Disney can survive pretty well on each other pretty well working off of each other uh, you know inadvertently but when everybody has a streaming service that's what's really kicking Netflix's ass so for them uh, it's probably it puts more pressure on you to have better original content yes it does but like all, all of these streaming services have like they have old shows Th- those shows are not the focus of the streaming service but People that know those those shows that have those kind of followings, particularly like you know, I'm friends in the office of the easy ones. I'm sure we have some for each of those streaming services, but that it has that backfield of content that people already know. So even if Netflix starts making quality content to have a backfield, it's playing catch up because these things have been around for years that people already know of, and they they associate they 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 will just watch these because. They know them. Netflix doesn't have that, so their best bet would be uh, one of the one of pick off one of the struggling streamers, and they should do it before Apple decides. Um, okay, we've got enough quality content and stuff. We need to backfill our stuff. We need to buy. We need to buy or exclusively partner with one of these other um, studios. Dissolve their streaming service. Let it absorb it all with us, and then they make a serious play for the top spot. I think that the the better play there is I don't think anybody absorbs another streaming service. I think I think we go back to studio another studio being on the block or an exclusive uh, streaming deal. Um, Disney inked a Sony deal, right? So there's yes. Sony content that's going to be on Disney Plus. Um, 
the next big thing that I can think of that's been bounty about pretty much since uh, 2017 or 2018 when the rumors about the uh, Sony Marvel, the, the Fox acquisition began, um, the rumors have been swirling about Lionsgate. And if Lionsgate is indeed up, um, that would be one that would be interesting for either Netflix or uh, uh, or Apple to buy up. It's not a hundred year backlog, right? But it's 25, 30 years of backlog and it's some relatively important films. So, I mean, that could help. Um, I just don't know that Lionsgate is in the TV game as heavily and would have, you know, the streaming, the, the, the contractual rights to some of the shows that would help bring eyeballs. So when I think about Lionsgate, I do th- it will probably be an easier acquisition to make. However, whoever gets Lionsgate is that they're effectively done in, in in absorbing any other studio because you know even with the way our government is working right now, they don't they really don't want a monopoly or they'll try to. You can consolidate power to a point, and then they'll stop you. Be like, okay, this is too much. So. If one of these places is going to buy buys Lionsgate, that effectively takes them out of buying anything else. If something else should happen, and I think I don't think Lionsgate is Lionsgate is worth that. Uh, it will be it will behoove anyone for just like a regular movie studio, not like so. Maybe let's just say Sony. Sony buys Lionsgate, and then somebody else buys Sony. I think that works out better than just straight up buying Lionsgate because so Lionsgate is 60 years old has 60 year back catalog. Um, It's subsidiaries include uh, Roadside Attractions, Summit and Spyglass. Um, The film library uh, includes such memorable films as American Psycho the Saw franchise, the Twilight Saga, the uh, the ran- the recent Rambo movies, uh, the Alpha and Omega movies, the Expendables movies, a new one coming out soon, the Hunger Games movies, uh, the John Wick movies, um, and the uh, Knives Out movies. Um, their highest grossing film are the three uh, the three Hunger Games movies. Followed uh, by the uh, this this Breaking Dawn Part Two, the conclusion of the Twilight Saga. Um, so yeah, that's that's Lionsgate. Yeah, they there are valuable movies and or properties in there, but they're all fairly recent, and you're missing the television component. And I think that's that's a big thing too. People want to have access to a television library. Right, say what you will about Sony, but they, their television library is pretty extensive uh, and will be a get for anybody. So, I, to to Lionsgate is not worth it only in that it will it will permanently remove you from the chessboard of the eventual further consolidation of power that's going to come somewhere down the line. It's always going to come down the line. It's just going to be interesting to see what happens from here. Um, 
So Sony Pictures Television proper is only 19 years old. It might be only 19 years proper, but it it owns a, a good bit of catalog. Like I think it owns all of Norman Lear stuff. I know it owns Good Times, so I'm assuming it's all of Norman Lear stuff. So like Maude, Sanford and Son, All in the Family, the Jeffersons, all that's uh, all that Sony. That's just off the top of my head. So Sony Pictures Television would include uh, the Screen Gems television stuff, the Columbia tele- television stuff, the Columbia TriStar television stuff. This includes such uh, such classics as uh, the uh, George Burns and Gracie Allen show, the uh, Father's, Father, Father's, Father Knows Best, uh, the Tales of the Texas Rangers, um, the... The Web, the Casey Jones, um, Rescue Eight, uh, the Ed Wynn Show, Naked City, Manhunt, Dennis the Menace, uh, My Sister Ellen, Route 66, Tallahassee 7000. Um, to go get into the 70s, um, Nancy, the Partridge Family, the, uh, the Good Life. Um, the young and the restless, um, <laughs> like uh, the born free. That's my mama. Least woman. Um, the quest. Uh, the fantastic journey. Um, yeah, I mean it's 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 some interesting stuff up in here for sure. Um, but it, it's it's just gonna be interesting for me to see what happens and. And who collects who going forward? Yeah, the, it's going to be a bunch of dominoes that fall eventually, but uh, you know, just kind of got to wait it out. Indeed. So, Chad, speaking of waiting things out, we've been waiting out rumors of a Daredevil return to the small screen pretty much since before No Way Home came out, and we got final confirmation. Your thoughts, sir, on the idea that uh, the Man Without Fear would show up in She-Hulk, it'll would show up in uh, Echo, and then show back up in his original series. I think those are all good bets, because uh, She-Hulk is She-Hulk colon attorney at law. Why not bring the other famous superhero lawyer into the fold? Uh, he's already appeared in the cameo, so yeah, I don't think that's too far-fetched. Um, Echo... Uh, they're tied together in the comics. I don't really, I didn't read Echo, so I'm not really like up to date on all of her doings. But I know she's very close to Nightwing. At, well, at she least. also the MCU version also has Kingpin as her villain. Yes, yes, there, there's also that. So, um, knowing that they're shooting her, I think they're shooting her series now. It all yeah. makes sense that you know they would do those things, and then bam get a, a daredevil show uh i would expect that most of the cast comes back i would love for all of that cast to come back i think uh, remind me of how that season four in, that season three ends oh i don't remember but because that, that season three is is a lot darker than than even the season two that led up to the defenders got arrested soul yeah but i don't think uh when i say the cast come back i mean you know the primary three so uh, Matt Foggy and 
Karen. And I th- I think all three of them are still alive, so I don't see why you wouldn't bring any of them back if they want to come back. Have and clearly you're back. bringing D'Onofrio back because he's still, you know, <laughs> alive and ripping doors off yeah, he, in he's, uh, Hawkeye. He's clearly still alive. Uh, you know, even if they do something with the whole blinded kingpin thing. But it makes sense. Now, being that it's on Disney Plus, I think the feel of it's going to be different than the Netflix show. I mean, was was Moon Knight really that much different in tone from the kind of stuff they were doing on Netflix? I know it's, two it's, and season two and season three got more violent, but yeah. like it's Moon Knight is probably the base. I think I think it will be closer to Moonlight than any Moon Knight than anything else. I think Moon Knight was lighter than the Netflix shows. Uh, but that's because they didn't have anybody getting absolutely brutalized through most of the shows. I think there will be violence. I think there will be intense violence. Uh, I don't think the brutalization will be there. Um, that that really sent this, um, sent this property that way. Um, so yeah, I I'm, I I think we'll get more of Daredevil in the suit. I think it'll be. I'm I'm curious about how he's going to turn up in She-Hulk because I I feel that's going to be more comedic. I don't, but I don't think Daredevil will be more comedic. I think it will I be. I think that the better you'll get a better taste of him in Echo because Echo feels more street level and has a a much closer tie to Kingpin, who he obviously has a long history with. Yeah, that's a straighter line. That that I feel is a much straighter line, and you know, I get kind of pissy with with Feige about certain things. The fact that he said that a day before No Way Home came out, and it was like, well, if he we were to ever bring Daredevil into the MCU, of course it would be Charlie Cox. Who else would it be? Like, we don't know how, we don't know when he'll ever show up, but if it did, it would be that dude. And then 48, 24 to 48 hours later, it's like, oh, I'm going to catch a brick as it is thrown at me through the window. And it's like, OK, even though those rumors have been out there for a while, it was still like he was just like, you know, 24 hours before if we ever used him. And then they, they were very blatant about Kingpin in, um, you know, and Hawkeye saying that it's a. um continuation of the character from the the netflix shows so like you know they've been very clear in couching this new season with these showrunners as a continuation so i mean it's i don't know that's just kind of interesting to me is all me too me too um i mean at this point we got what at least a year and a half before we find anything out but you'll be able to inform be more informed about the character as after we get uh, finished with uh, with Echo and and She-Hulk. Um, so, Chad, what do you make of uh, Will Poulter getting ripped and hanging out with uh, uh, Natasha's sister? Wait, I didn't see that. You, you did not see the pictures of Will Poulter and uh, and uh, what's her name? And uh, Florence Pugh. Florence Pugh together hanging out on the beach. With him buffed and ripped out to shreds? I did not. But um, once he got cast in Guardians, and the hair shot that was floating around, and the new pictures I saw of him, I'm like, 
where did this awkward looking dude go? And where did this, you know, golden man just pop up in his place? So I'm not surprised to hear you say that. One, he's in a Marvel movie. You know, they stick him in the Marvel diet. So ripped up is a thing that was going to happen anyway. But he's already he's already shed his. Um, I mean, his. Um, <sighs> Tintin, he looked like the real life version of nerdy Tintin coming to life. He's already shed that. And I mean, looks in the vein of Adam Warlock. So I'm not surprised about any of that. I mean, in a world where Harry Styles can play Thanos' brother, I mean, uh, anything is possible. Anything is indeed possible. Indeed, anything is possible, including Zeus making Thor have to have a blur on national television. (laughs) Your thoughts, sir, on the final Thor Love and Thunder trailer as we herald ourselves closer to the uh, July release date. So... We're flat out getting uh, Chris Hemsworth's ass on in this movie, right? Not yes. gonna be a blur. No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, which, which that that begs the question for me: when we see the movie in the the trailer in theaters, which I assume they're sticking this on Top Gun Maverick, that we'll we'll see the 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 back nudity. But like, why you would put that in the trailer for television is beyond me. Um. Well, I tell you why. Because Chris Hemsworth is in incredible shape, and much like the women's reaction in that trailer, the real women that watched that trailer at home had similar reactions. And if they had any doubts about going to see this Marvel movie, I'm sure they were put to rest, and they would just need to be reassured that they will see the scene of Chris Hemsworth again on the big screen, sans blur. And I think that that. That does something for a certain segment of people. But overall, um, my thoughts are, you know, there's a lot going on in this movie. And I think it's going to all come together well. But uh, just watching the trailer, I'm just trying to, like, pretty much based on Thor's outfits, I'm trying to piece together where everything's going and how, basically, when does Jane show up? So we know he's going to be fat. We know he's going to be working on working out. That sounds like an 80s montage at the very beginning of the movie. We also know he's with the Guardians and at some point um, becomes Ravager Thor that uh, looks like Thunderstrike from the comics in the 90s. Um, But I don't think the Guardians are going to be in the movie very long either. So then that leaves, you know, Viking Thor fit and then new Super Thor in his outfit. And I I don't get where those work in to where we're going uh, and, and chronologically, but I just have to watch and see from that point. I'm kind of su- I'm kind of surprised that they show so much of Jane, but then that might just tell us that she's in the movie that much. She might effectively be a co-lead, which would be fine because she is also the mighty Thor, so that is completely fine. Um, I need somebody to do the math for me on the release date I, I, of, I knew it. I knew of it. Thor the Dark World because he has a very specific, you know, number of eight years, 14 months, and 34 days. Okay. Let's see. What was Thor the Dark World was released in 
2013 or 2014? 2013. 2013, yeah. Okay, so it's 2013. So the year after Avengers. Um, we know that Thor and Jane are still together in... Age of um, Ultron. Age of Ultron, in 20, which is 2015. In 2015. And but, but, he, but all he says really in Age of Ultron, because remember, um, the build did not come due with Pepper Potts in that one. And so I was greatly frustrated because all we got was a petty line of dialogue about Pepper needing to do things for Stark Industries. Yes, when they have their pissing contests with their women. Um, so we'll just take him at his word that they're together in 2015. Um, Ragnarok doesn't come out until 26, no, 2018. Okay, so, so, so the release date for uh, The Dark World is November the 8th, 2013. Mm -hmm. And then Age of Ultron is May, May 1st, 2015. Mm -hmm. And then what about Ragnarok? Let's see. That is November 3rd, 2017. And there's no mention of, of Jane in there except that they broke up. Yes. So they broke up anytime between 2015 and 2017. Okay, so let's just use that May 1st, 2015 date. That's 2,579 days. In other, in other words, that was seven years and 22 months. Seven years and 22 days ago. In 2015? Right. You, you're talking Friday. about from... But you're talking about from, from right now, right? From, fri from Friday, May 1st, 2015... Seven years, zero months, and 22 days. Okay. Now, here's the thing. The movie doesn't take place in this year because we're still dealing with post-blip. So, it's five years from 2018, and then I think we're probably like a year or two removed from that. So, if, so if, if the movie takes place in 20... 2024? 2024 or 2025. I would say 2025. So if it took place in 2025, they would have to break, they would have broken up the year of Ragnarok. Or, or actually, no, no, no. Because there was like 200 something days. So probably in 2016. So, so yes, that's the thing that I'm going to be annoyed with. I'm going to need our good friend Jim Vader or, or somebody who does press for Love and Thunder to ask um when the last time those two saw each other was oh it's gonna um it's going to be however close it needs to be to ragnarok without going over to equal eight years so my bet is eight they, years my eight bet years is that a they, certain number of months and a certain number of days they were yeah, very so specific my bet is that they broke up in 20 sometime in 2016 and that would explain why uh but but see that's the thing though and this is what has always kind of uh, been iffy for me. Thanos hovers above that ship in the immediate aftermath of Ragnarok. Mm. Yeah. So, like, the opening of Infinity War seems to be immediately following the post-credits thing of Thor after Thor has just watched his planet be destroyed. Yes, it does set up that way. I, I, there is some ambiguity, and, like, they might take some license to say, you know, they left like a week ago and then Thanos showed up as opposed to 
20 seconds after Thanos blew up this crap. Uh, but I don't think it's any longer than like a week or two. Well, I mean, I say that. I don't think it's any longer than like a month between Asgard blowing up and Thanos showing up. So what were your thoughts overall about the, the trailer? Because mine were like, I love this humor. I love Taika going off and doing crazy things. I love the idea of him telling the story of Viking Thor to children on another planet. <laughs> I, I, I love the way that the trailer is set up. And I'm really, really hyped um, for for the uh, for Gore the God Butcher because it looks like they didn't go the CGI route, which is something we'd heard for a while. But this confirms that they uh, they aren't going to go the CGI route with him. They let Christian Bale be Christian Bale, which, you know, more than likely will lead to an, a fantastic performance. Instead of just somebody who wants to plunge the world into darkness and go to sleep. <laughs> I'm still amazed the villain of your movie stayed asleep for 35 percent of it. I'm not. They just had to get through that one. Um, yeah, my biggest thing in the trailer is so I'm curious how they're going to go about explaining how Jane is Mighty Thor now. Um, and she does some interesting things in the trailer, particularly that when she throws the hammer, um, it breaks apart the 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 pieces that you know it was shattered. So when she throws it, instead of the hammer just hitting people. Those pieces go out and hit people. I thought that was kind of interesting. I'm, I'm betting that ties into how she got the power. But I think that the the centerpiece of this trailer, even though we didn't get a bunch of them, is for the God Butcher because this is the this is the closest thing we have to a story trailer. Might be the only story trailer we get, and you know it lets you know his intentions. He is a guy killer, and that's what he's here to do. But you don't really see much of him in action or how he moves or any of that stuff. You're just left to wonder what is Christian Bale going to do in this role? And that's where I'm at now. It gave me just enough gore to 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 get with his look. I think the look is fine. I know some people are probably going to have an issue with it because apparently gore doesn't have a nose in the comics. But just I think slits. Yeah. And considering as soon as the toys came out, people were talking about him looking like Voldemort, I think it was a good idea to stray away from that. Um, but I want to see what he's all about. And the trailer did his job in enticing me that way. And and I'd agree. Um, I love banter and J- uh, I love the banter between Jane and uh, Valkyrie. I like um, the way that they set the story up here. Um, I also just kind of like the notion that we get that line of dialogue about her being him or her being, you know, different than the other gods because she's act he or she is actually fighting for something or has something worth saving, which is something that um, apparently, according to uh, Gore, not all of the gods that he's uh, butchered have have had. So um, that's an interesting line of dialogue. But again, you can't really take much of what you see in a in a uh, Marvel trailer to be gospel. No, because they will lie to you. Straight up lie to you. Um, see the scene in Wakanda that is not actually in Infinity War. Exactly. Uh, all right. So that'll about do it for this week's episode. Oh, wait, 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 wait. One, one more thing. One more thing. I just kind of want to gloat over the box office of Doctor Strange compared to the Batman. Just a little bit. Because, you know... DC, DC is my thing. And in three weeks, in three weeks, 
Doctor Strange has made, I have it right here, it is, it has made $803 million in three weeks. Compared to the Batman over his entire theatrical run. Of eight weeks. Now, granted, after 45 days, HBO Max got a hold to it and the, the box office fell off a cliff. But even with that, uh, the Batman is currently at $769 million. Uh, again, if you're Warner Brothers, I think you have to be happy with the Batman's results. But at the same time, you have to be disappointed to see that your closest thing in competition, Marvel, with a third, fourth tier character, has made $803 million. And, and they did that without being added to China. Whereas the Batman had China and did the numbers that it did. And and also, uh, while it's not a huge performer, as we've talked about on the show, Russia was withheld for this movie. Yeah, yeah Russia is Russia's kind of like a drop in the bucket. But, you know, you can we, we can say those things. But for like if Multiverse of Madness had China, it would have been at a billion dollars by now. Easy. Batman has China and is not even making eight hundred million dollars. So if they don't have China, they're looking at what probably six, six fifty. Yeah, I, I mean, again, I say all that. I'm not dumping on the quality of the Batman as well as Doctor Strange. I am just stating the facts of the box office. And typically, somebody from my left has a problem with things that Disney does to make all this money, and they'll probably be very vocal about it. But there's, I mean, nothing really else to say. I just want to, to throw that in there. It's even beating it uh, and domestically, is it? Oh, domestically, the Batman is still doing better at $369 million compared to Doctor Strange, $342. Just give it a few days. Literally, just give it a few days. Um, the problem for me is that the Marvel brand stands for quality and stand and has a trust with the audience that is unparalleled in the marketplace right now. Um, I am thoroughly convinced that you could slap the Marvel logo on front in front of a, a little uh, in front of a Leah Thompson directed Howard the Duck remake, and people would show up in, in in droves because they would just trust Marvel that Marvel would do right by the character. That's a completely different thing than the Batman, which is a for mature audiences only interpretation of the of the of the uh, character that is very talky and does not lend itself i mean say what you want to say like the uh like multiverse madness is a brisk runtime like it moves it it gets going and it doesn't stop um that is different from the very plotting let's in the movie three separate times thing that is the batman so there's just some structural differences there but ultimately at the end of the day it's hard to beat a Marvel movie when Marvel can just roll out a any character they solo character that they want from their pantheon to make eight hundred to a billion dollars. And I mean, in my perfect world, that's how this thing all works. You want to make a comic? You want to make a movie about this character? Does it make sense? Can you make it make sense? Cool, go out and do it. Uh, that's how I think it should work. I think that's the best way, but. 
not everybody agrees with that. So they they the argument um, is the Batman is a better film than Doctor Strange, and Doctor Strange is making the more money. And the issue is like that's not how this works. It's not on the quality of the film. Like if if it were the case of the quality of the film, Parasite would have made way more money than it actually did. Um, like we're we're glorifying the fact that everything everywhere all at once has made fifty million dollars at the box office over twelve weeks. It took it twelve weeks to get to that number. Like in a perfect world, that would never have been the case. Like it's not about the quality of the film. It's about the fact that Marvel has a brand name and staying power and rapport with the audience that they implicitly trust them. And there's like, you have to earn that over time and with various box office wins, not just with rolling out your character and just hoping people show up because they've seen him like, you know, seven times in the last 25 years. Yep. Those are all, all wise words that, Warner Brothers has not lived by, so hopefully they will in, in the future. But it's it's not a winning strategy. It's not a winning strategy to just take your quote unquote beloved star and just roll them out there. You have to give them somebody that it cares for and wants to do something with the character. Well, I mean, for for us, Chad, at this point. Like it's it's not about the rolling the characters out and just doing it. It's about the audience making the choice and making a decision. And the thing is, like audiences have to have a reason to go and audiences also still have to feel safe to go. Um, Downtown Abbey did a great job. They did a wonderful marketing job. They had a movie that was just as good, if not better than the original. Something that felt very close to the original series, yet still new and fresh. But the target audience for that movie is the old folks who are sitting at home watching on PBS. And in 2019, in 2019, they were more than happy to go to the theater. But that demographic no longer feels safe going to the movie theater. And so that's a change. And, you know, like when you when you're DC and you put out things like the Joker and you put out things like Birds of Prey and you put out things like the Suicide Squad and you've had like an up and down hit or miss re- you know reception you don't have that trust you don't have that that equity that capital with the you know um you don't have that capital with the audience that'll just okay i'm gonna make the time energy and effort to go to the theater to see this movie because it's the batman like no it's because it's a marvel movie or because it's a dc movie or because it's a whatever and I think that that's just their problem is they've just been rolling out the character and not really earning the the audience's backing. And I think detractors for that would say that probably not good, that it's the Marvel brand that's carrying all this. But I, while it is the brand, it's also, you know, the brand, the brand is about caring for the characters and giving you characters that the brand is about the story. Yeah. It's a never ending story. No pun intended. Like it's the, if you want to say they're episodes of a TV show, fine, but like viewers want to tune in every week. But even like, even with that, like, cause people say that to the detriment of Marvel, but what Marvel realizes is that they have characters that people like, they realize what 
the reason I still read comic books and I read comic books of the same characters is because I like those characters. I like spending time with those characters. Marvel the Studio has said, let's do that in the movies. You might not like the episodic nature. You might not like any of that. But people go back because they like the characters. At the core, they like the characters. With DC, they haven't done the work for the characters for people to feel that way. And it's, I mean, partially it's been their method before because, you know, on tour and all that stuff. But um, even if people like the characters, they've been so burnt by DC itself that they don't give certain movies a chance that maybe deserve it. Um, also, one other quick observation because you said Joker. The fact that the Joker made a billion dollars and the Batman didn't is kind of wild to me. Considering Joker's rated R and is very loosely the Joker, whereas the Batman is the Batman and it couldn't make a billion dollars. That again, Warner Bros. should be happy with the Batman's receipts. It's just wild to me that the Incel movie made a billion dollars and this one can't. Well, it, it danced away with all the with all the box office, that's all we can say. Uh, so that'll about do it for this week's podcast. If you want to follow us on Twitter, I am at BCW Tiger Fan. I'm at The Mess Theory. Thank you very much, and we're efforting to have our good friend Jim Bay with on soon so we can talk all things CinemaCon and uh, just ramp up our summer, our summer movie season as Star Wars Celebration occurs this coming weekend and we march ever closer to an actual normal July Comic Con. Thank you very much, and have a pleasant evening.